future expectations and imagined probabilities feels so much longer than it was before. I'm talking like I can plan things for 15 years. Like, oh, this is what I want to be doing in 15 years. Three years ago, you could have asked me what I, where I saw myself in five years, and I had no idea. You know? <laughs> I didn't. It was, like, it was one of the most like, uncomfortable questions. It's like five years. But now the horizon seems farther away, which is, is exciting. Now when I think about Nova and Escher, I think about creating a safe, like the safest, most nurturing field of probability around them that I can, you know, that it's within my domain to do. And uh, it's great. I don't know. There's something that feels like this is what I should be thinking about. And it feels good to think like that. Greetings, future fossils. This is Michael Garfield welcoming you to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. This week, we have a very exciting guest for you on the show, Android Jones, an artist whose iconic imagery of digitally reimagined wisdom traditions and the far reaches of human potential have ended up everywhere from the Smithsonian Museum to the side of the Sydney Opera House. Android is somebody I've known for a while. I'm, I'm honored to consider a friend, someone who has not abandoned his skill and mastery in pursuit of the visionary new horizons of technological creative expression and someone whom I've had the pleasure of watching become a father over the last few years. I love seeing his partner, Martha, and their children at festivals. It's really inspiring to me as someone who has long hoped that there is room for a family in the non-ordinary path I choose to cut for myself. Android's latest project in collaboration with the visionary programmer Anson Fong is Microdose VR, which is this remarkable, immersive, creative sandbox where you get to wish ephemeral, gorgeous particle animations into form and sculpt these glorious temporary cathedrals in midair. It's a profoundly psychedelic experience. And if it's any indication of the path that creative technology is taking in this century then the world of art and wonder and creative flow space is going to open up for a lot of people in the next few years. I wanted to give Android a different kind of conversation than the one he's used to. So this talk has a lot to do with how he understands his role as a father and an artist and a psychonaut together, how the analog and digital differ in their utility when he's teaching art to his kids, what happens at the challenging intersection between ever more accessible and democratic forms of creative instruments and the proliferation of intense new forms of learning and mastery. It's a great conversation for episode 111, but first I want to give a thanks to Michael Gaio, the newest Patreon supporter, and the rest of the 135 or so people chipping in a couple bucks a month to keep this podcast afloat. It's for sure the best way to get in with me and a learning community of listeners involved in much more direct, immediate 
rewarding conversation, I think, than is possible simply listening to this on your commute or whatever you do, which of course is awesome and wonderful. But if you would like to take it a step deeper and get involved in our book club and access all of the patrons only stuff that I put up in there, I do everything I can to make sure that you all know how deeply grateful I am for your support of this show. Also, a thanks to everyone who has been reviewing this show on iTunes or wherever you're listening to it. It makes a huge difference in terms of the kind of guests that I'm capable of luring onto the program. You know, the more reviews I stack up, the better this show can be. So if you haven't already and you have a minute, please pop on over and say some kind things about this show in public. It makes a big difference. While on the subject of concerted community action... I encourage everybody to go check out knowyourmeme.com. My buddy Mike Schwab, this show's current featured sponsor, works for this really cool community project where people have been cataloging the histories of various web memes. New media must always suffer the burden of being regarded as lowbrow. But regardless, we have a rather scholarly conversation emerging around these lovely and novel fruits of remix culture. So if you've ever wanted to know the origins of the distracted boyfriend meme, or you want to see a graduate-level historic breakdown of Scumbag Steve, or you have some vital contribution to the ongoing study of popular web media, you too can be a contributor at knowyourmeme.com. And uh, I think it's a really cool site, and I encourage you to check it out. Lastly, we have now over 1,600 people in the Facebook group for Future Fossils. This is where I share all kinds of interesting articles and news items and cool artworks. And it really has just sort of taken over my Facebook life. There's a lot of amazing folks in there sharing wonderful stuff on a regular basis. So the group has become a nexus of surprise and delight for me as well. And uh, I hope that if you still have the stomach for using Facebook, that you'll join us in there because it's a good place to get into conversation with some other curious, hungry, intelligent thoughtful people people like android jones so enjoy this episode ah so uh before we begin yeah any uh, important updates or announcements or anything we should emphasize here? Um, on the 21st of this month, doing a, our first like Microsoft VR uh, workshop at our Wisdom Complex in Los Angeles on the 21st. Cool. I guess that is the only like kind of like upcoming things and yeah. Cool. Hey, your mic sounds kind of like crinkly. Is that um? Let me see. Let me see. I'm on um. Or maybe it's just your coat. I don't know. There's... How is that better? Oh, yeah. That's much better. Man, it's, it's this like Sony headset. It's so like a couple centimeters moving it left or right. I think it's just really sensitive. Oh, good. Well, I, you're just going to have to keep your head perfectly still for the whole conversation. Sure. No, don't do that. Um, well, all right, man. Let's do this. Yeah. Congratulations. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome on board Future Fossils. I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since I realized it was almost certainly going to happen after I had my kid and that it would be the first dad on dad episode of Future Fossils. Oh, this is dad on dad? Okay, great. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's it's just like, you know, you've been interviewed so many times, but to my knowledge, I don't know that you have... uh, ever had a conversation about parenthood and how that, that sort of changes your identity as an artist or doesn't, or, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. So that's kind of, it's cool. kind of where my Great. head's at. So yeah, man, um, as you know, this is, this is a show where we embed the conversation in the biggest possible, not just long, but deep and wide now. So I think the place I'd like to start is with your uh, your delicious self-definition of your work as electromineralism. I'd love to hear you rant about that a little, and I think that, that'll give us the spark plug for the rest of this discussion. Okay, great. Well, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Michael. I've been looking forward to this conversation as well. Um, I always enjoy our conversations. And, um, yeah, electromineralism. So that was a term, that was a term I coined Man, I think I, I keep seeing like the reminders that like my web domain is like about to expire on that all the time. <laughs> but maybe maybe like ten years ago, I think I, I, I stumbled upon that one and uh it came from uh I think it was born out of a really a, a kind of a deep dissatisfaction with the term like digital art as being a kind of self describing myself as a digital artist. Um it seemed really a very nondescriptive, vague term. And, um, you know, visionary artist also has, um, you know, some unpleasant trappings as well around that. And uh, I just started looking at kind of art history and that a lot of art and art movements and artists would define themselves. You know, even some contemporary artists defines themselves as a watercolor artist or pastel artist, like some artists, when the subject matter that you work in can can vary and, 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 is, and is often broad, then... I, I find that sometimes it's easier to describe yourself based off the medium that you're using. And um, like I guess the, the, the digital just didn't, I don't really feel like oh, I'm going to go move digits around <laughs> today. It didn't, um, didn't really resonate with me. And when you really just kind of, when I really started to take a kind of audit, the, the actual the molecular base of the medium that I'm using, I'm kind of realized that most of it is electricity Um you know, everything, even from 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 stage zero, from like the ground zero of a thought or a dream or imagination um, are kind of yeah, imbued with these electrical impulses and electricity keeps the monitors going and keeps the computers working and the, the laptops and all the high powered graphics cards and everything I use now. These are all, you know, highly made up of like copper and silicon and quartz and crystals and uh, minerals Um I, if I was going to be, I guess I could, I could call myself like an electro mineral petrochemical artist, but the petrochemical just makes it a little bit too, it's a little too verbose. So, uh, the, the idea of manipulating like crystals and minerals and electricity together is, is more exciting to me than, than, uh, than manipulating digits. So hence electro mineralism. Yeah. Well, you know, there's something else in there too, which I think, speaks to the fact that you're using these very modern tools to evoke, uh, in many cases, a very ancient wisdom 
or you know indigenous plant medicine traditions or like hindu spirituality that you're you're kind of uh unmoored in using this you know the digital medium to make a statement about the digital era and there's something you know there's something about the concept of electromineralism that I think also speaks to, like you were just saying, like these ideas emerge as electrical impulses. Um, there's, you know, all this weird 20th century Russian science from behind the iron curtain about, you know, the, the notion that individual consciousness might just be like a harmonic of the, uh, the earth's geomagnetic patterns, you know, that, that our individual memory are sort of like stored in this, this vaster thing. And then also the, this theme running through all different kinds of medicine traditions in which initiation is about the, uh, like taking the initiate apart and then placing gems and jewels and crystals and things into them. There's like a very ancient kind of cyborg strain that the modern mm. cyborg thing only begins to touch. So, you know, as, as someone with a, uh, a plate in your head. I feel like that's, mm -hmm. that's got a, you've, you've probably thought about that. I'd love to hear how this sort of reflects upon your own identity and, and life experiences and initiations and, and, you know, other things that are more broader general human experiences, less focused in the, yeah. in the current age. I think in general, as an artist, um, I really, uh, I really love tools, um, all types of tools, old tools, new tools, I have a whole, I have a barn here in Colorado and it's just filled with tools and I'm always just collecting new ones and whether it's stuff that helps me break down and manipulate or sand or shape wood or metal or vertexes, um, knobs and controllers, just the more the merrier. Um, I just love how these tools act as kind of extensions of my, my central creative nervous system and open up new new possibilities and kind of new new valleys of creative probabilities just just the access to them feels good you know um, even if i'm using them or not using them and often um i think there's even a lot of times when i'm working with you know working in vr working in um, um unreal and applications or painter or photoshop a lot of times it, it actually feels it, it, i know it's new but it doesn't it, it, sometimes it even feels old. Like I feel that even like the most modern tools we have are still so much farther away from the things that I've seen in some of my visions and ceremonies. It feels like we're still just kind of rubbing sticks and stones together. You know, I feel like they're still like, I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful and excited about the abundant amount of tools that are available to the contemporary artist. But yeah, there is there is a part of me that's it's it's never satisfied. It's always it's always like looking for like the new thing or the new opportunity that kind of creative conscious has to express itself. So on the I think that's that's kind of the that's the physical material tool side. And I think subject matter wise, um, one of the I guess something I've been attracted to, or you can kind of call it like a a, a creative long term strategy. Uh, is I do focus a lot of uh, some of the narratives that I work with, like in Samskara, in more rooted more in the the ancient past 
and it's not necessarily that I have a any any kind of like romantic attachment to yesteryear, um, and it's not about it, it isn't even about uh, as much trying to acknowledge the the past or it's I, I, as I'm referencing it it's it's the strategy that the I, the concept I have is not so much referencing the past you know when I read the yoga sutras I read these passages that you know I'm here in my in my studio reading this book that's been written you know say over 7,000 years ago by yogis that were channeling you know Sanskrit mantras and these gems from the inside of caves and the knowledge within them sometimes it seems like they are speaking like directly to me in this time you know the problems I have despite how contemporary they might feel you open up some of the sutras and like it's like they're speaking directly to you and for me the, the experience i get from that is it just feels like these these humans really tapped into a truth uh, or a type of truth that we don't have to get into like absolute truth or eternal truth but let's just say that this truth has has real legs to it <laughs> if it was true seven thousand years ago and it's true now and if I can create a piece of work around that truth, I'm not doing it to glorify the past. I'm doing it because I want to ensure that the piece can still have some sort of connection to people 7,000 years in the future. So I'm taking from the past in order to deliver something meaningful to the future. Mm. You know, there's something in there, uh, the you know, James P. Carse's uh, Finite and Infinite Games, where he talks about art and like the cultural activity as opposed to being the finite game of, you know, uh, trying to achieve merit in a system that's obsessed with its past. Uh, but that, you know, that the, the infinite game is a constant reworking and reimagining of what it is that we inherit and then kind of open-ended playful exercise that is more concerned about futurity, you know, and, and, and that kind of, you know, leaving something that will itself be reworked. But then, like, then that means that that the artist is not uh, identified primarily with social status or standing, uh, but is tethered to this much sort of deeper appreciation for their their place in this sort of cosmic evolutionary game that extends beyond human culture, you know? So I'm, I mean, do you, first of all, people call you Android. Do you think of yourself as human or like, what does human mean to you as an artist or how, how, how do you think of your identity within this enormous spectrum of stuff in which it seems you're quite happy to sort of collapse animal, vegetable, and mineral. Yeah. Um, currently, yeah, I do definitely identify myself as a human. I haven't found anything else uh, more relatable, um, you know, at times. Um, in in kind of regards to, I think maybe some overarching, uh, I just say kind of like the goalposts for like an art career. Um, I think I, I just like to, I think my, what, uh, uh, like a, 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 a kind of a wider goal is, is I just like to, to be part of the, the com, like the conversation, like the 6,000 year old conversation of art history that we have, you know, like I like, I like thinking that whatever I'm doing 
you know, it's impossible to know how people are going to see work in the future and what kind of perspective humans will have. But um, I think as much as you can involve, there's, it's a balance between like involving yourself and being part of the art that's happening right now and being you know, part of an art community, having your art um, be able to influence others and being influenced by the artists around you. So there's there's one aspect of being you know, semi-rooted in contemporary culture, things that are going on right now. Um, but at the same time, often I, I do my best to, to resist focusing too much of my art, um, on the things that are on the, on the immediate things that are happening right now. Like, for example, like I've made a couple political pieces, but mm -hmm. I tend to shy away from political art, not because I'm trying to, I mean, maybe because I have an avoidant personality and I just don't, I don't have time for the controversy of it. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't really like getting on, I don't like typing words on the internet and getting into, you know, philosophical, political conversations, but more so because I think it's just a lot of that work is going to, is, is, is going to be, you know, if we do it, it's going to be unrelatable to the future. It's going to be things, it's, it, it might, it might create kind of like a flash of a very immediate flash right now, but will be, most likely swept away. And I, I just say this because I was at someone's house the other day and they had these, these, these really elaborate, very well-drawn like political cartoons of things happening at the time. And it was, I, I could see the themes of what was going on, but all the, the, all the references they were making and the animomorphizing the, the people's faces with different derogatory animals of what they represented were totally you needed cliff notes to even try to understand what this artist was communicating because he was so focused on whatever the whoever was running for office at the time or whatever temp contemporary issue it was so focusing on these 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 broader themes i think it gives it gives the work a much longer shelf life and i think our and it can be more universally understood or provide a larger reflective surface for more mm. consciousness. Mm. Speaking of reflective surfaces, I remember you were part of a uh, panel discussion on visionary art that I moderated at Sonic Bloom Festival, like, I don't know, 2015 or something like that. Mm. And mm -hmm. you mentioned in there, uh, you, you, <laughs> you were a man of few words, but you everything you had to say, you like dropped a bomb. On, on all of the like swaggering nonsense that everyone else was, you know, it's just so easy to, uh, you know, polish our lapels thinking that, uh -huh. you know, we've, you and I have been a part of this, this uh, very self-congratulatory scene for oh, so God. long. And then you, you, are, you said something that really stuck with me uh, and interrupted the conversation in terms of, you know, I think the question was around the value of art and you said that, at least at the time, that you were trying to make artwork that reflected the viewer's own potential back to them, their own best self, like their own sort of most beautiful possible life. I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly mm -hmm. how you put it, but yeah. it was just it just resituated the the whole product and process as a service and specifically in service to not just merely flattering your clients, sure, but, sure, but yeah. like 
coaxing them into something greater. And, and yeah. it feels like that's really connected to what you're saying just now about the reflective surface of things. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is true. That is that, that from 2015 to, um, to today that, um, I haven't wavered on that one at all. And to, to elaborate, I think the point that I was making, it actually comes from just a deeper understanding of, uh, psychology. Um, cause that's something that I've learned over the years where, you know, anybody can, uh, I don't know. I might say anybody. Many people have a have the possibility of going to an atelier or getting the right books and learning how to draw and make a piece of art. But the business and maneuvering a lifestyle around making art as much as possible and having it be the only and removing the other distractions that you need to support yourself by using your art to support yourself. It takes. I think it takes a lot of. Uh, it takes a certain amount of talent and. Uh, this day and age, and I'm sure it always has, it really takes a great degree of psychology. I don't think it wasn't until I started understanding human psychology that I would think I was able to really support myself just being a full-time artist and having no other distractions, but making art. And it was just, it's the psychology of, it's human psychology. It's really basic stuff, just how we make decisions. Um, and we can kind of get into like the, you know, is, is, is the reptile, like which, which, which part of the brain is making a decision if it's more like the reptile or the mammal. But something that I learned probably around 2011 was the mechanics that happen in, in, in many of our minds. Like when we make a decision, when we decide, because when someone buys a piece of art, you know, you make a sale of a piece of art because someone finds someone is finding it. It's more valuable to them than whatever money that you're asking for. If, if the money that you're asking is less than the value somebody's getting from something, then most likely that this that those are some of the dynamics of why someone would purchase something. But often I started getting really into trying to understand what they were like what what were they were purchasing, you know, what that is. Because as an artist, it's really easy to get especially to this this day and age with all the all the output options, you know, you can get really involved in you know, the, the archivalness of the canvas or the type of ink, or is it a lenticular or laser cut, or is it oil paint, or is it in a frame? Like artists, we can, I find that I get often, it, it was easy to get focused and distracted on like the, um, the transaction of like an object, like one human making an object and giving that object to another person. Uh, Cause it's obvious. I mean, it seems like that's would that, that seems like that's the most obvious transaction that's happening is this object. But what I started to realize is that what makes it's, it's the, it's the process or that little electrical spark that happens before that transaction. That's the most important. And when somebody is buying a painting, when really we're buying anything, anything that we're buying, we're ultimately buying the experience of having that thing. And we're buying the experience of having that thing in the future. And so whether we're aware of it or not, when you're looking at a piece of art, you you might think that you're buying that piece, you know, whether it's like an investment or whether you think it's it, it, it fits something that you need or it really matches that couch, whatever it is, what you're really buying is you're buying the potential of the imaginary potential of yourself in the future with that thing. That's what you're always buying. You're buying that 
experience and you're buying an experience of yourself. So once I understood that, I realized that part of being an artist and um, running a business, having a, you know, a print store and an online presence, you know, all those things, ultimately what I'm really selling is I'm selling enhanced future versions of people to themselves. I'm selling, <laughs> I'm se- look when they're, but when a couple is buying like a union print and they're hanging in their house, I'm selling the potential versions of themselves, you know, looking at this piece and reminding them of like the deeper truth of their love together in perpetuity. You know, it's that moment of connecting with it. Um, that, uh, when I, when I hang a Zabi piece in my kid's room, I'm connecting with myself and the joy I'm having, like watching them stare into the Zavular dimension and recognize like how familiar it feels. It has nothing to do with if it's canvas or if it's printed or if it's in a frame or how many of there are, how much it's going to be worth in five years. All that stuff is kind of semantics. It's that future version that we go for. And if you can think about that in terms of that, if you, if you, if you're open to that being a dynamic, it really, uh, for me, it was, it, it definitely, it, 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 uh, it changed the kind of the, how I view this, 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 this game of being an artist. And I think it's made a positive difference in it. Mm, Yeah. So interesting that this way of thinking precedes your own fatherhood this is this uh-huh. is where we we can sort of dog leg into that into yeah mode. into dad so. mode yeah because because <laughs> you know this show has always been the the tagline for the show has always been be good ancestors I, I'm, I'm still kind of too early in the process to know how even though i've been thinking about all this stuff for years how it's going to change as i enter into a daily uh, praxis as a father, as, as an artist and how that's going to change the way that I think about the work that I create. And I'm really curious to know how it has changed for you, if anything has changed and, and like how you're, you know, not, you know, not just the way you manage your time, but like the, has your motivation changed? Has your sense of your, the relationship between the material arts that you create and the creative work of parenting you know, like, yeah. what is all that for you? Yeah, it's probably easier to say that um, absolutely nothing has stayed the same. <laughs> There's nothing about my life that is exactly the same as it was before kids. There's like not a molecule of it has remained. So, and in, in the best way possible. Um, but yeah, whatever those change, it, I think changes are going to be different for every individual that goes from a... Um, a non-parent to a, a successful breeder. Um, but for me, there's sure there's, there's parts of my life and some of the routines I've tried to hold on to a little tighter. Uh, there's things that definitely kind of resemble the past, but it's such, I think it's a pretty, it's a tectonic shift of consciousness um, to enter into from the, from the perspective of a father to where I was just, you know, just like three years ago and I've got two, I've got two kids now. So we just doubled down on that. <laughs> and it's, you know, I guess I can think of, I, there's when you, when you, when you ask that there's some highlight, I could pick out some highlights of it that um, stand out as, you know, cause there's so many changes. It's like, we could never, I, I don't know how I, I don't even think I could remember all of them, but the ones that relate to being an artist um, I think might be interesting. Yeah. Um, 
one change, like a, a material uh, objective kind of protocol change was when I started painting with Nova and um, it was, she was a little over a year. It was once you could start standing, then we started drawing, like I would draw in bed and she would come over and be super curious about it. Um, but I think when she was able to stand, that's when we actually started, like I set up a little studio outside for her um, in the barn. And uh, during the summer, I would just, I have all these rolls of canvas from the, the printing business that we would use. And just watching, it's just like watching the consciousness, watching her young, fresh, open consciousness, be like play music or jazz music, and just seeing her it react creatively with, with colors and shapes in just like the pure joy of, of making it. Like not only did the experience of seeing this like pure creative spirit unfold, um, you know, as incredibly inspiring that was, it kind of rekindled a whole new appreciation for the entire spectrum of physical art tools, like from tempera to watercolors, to crayons, to clay, to paint. Um, from an actual, you know, like we mentioned the, like the electro mineralism, but, you know, from the, the molecular, like I, I got to understand, you know, I try to engage their brains as much as possible with different things because this, in this first three year period, it's a really important time where there's so much brain development. You just don't want to leave any of those like developing, exploding like neurons on the table. <laughs> and I realized that like I could put her in front of an iPad or a Wacom and she's, I, I, she's, she's played around with it. She's seen me use it, but I really don't, I, I try to stay away. That's, I use that if we're on like an airplane or something or there, you know, we can't, if we can make a mess, I'd rather make a mess than use the iPad. And just from the level of, despite how many possibilities there are within a digital realm, just the molecular complexity of like thick, loopy, day glow, tempera paint, like in her hands, like that, I believe that like the experience of that and feeling the texture of the paper and watching the colors mix, it was, it was like a higher, higher, higher dimensional variable of learning experience for her and seeing that happen to kind of rekindle the whole, like I've, I've, I've kind of gone, gone way deeper into back into my kind of traditional art and roots because seeing it, seeing it new for her made it, made it new for me again at mm. the same time. Um, you start, you start thinking a lot more long-term about, about things. Uh, I feel like as in terms of, I guess, in the context of a visionary art, it's so much easier for me to, the trajectory of my future expectations and imagined probabilities feels so much longer than it was before. Even if it's only, I'm not like, I'm like, I'm talking like I can, I can see things in 15 years. I can plan things for 15 years. Like, oh, this is what I want to be doing 15 years. Three years ago, you could have asked me what I, where I saw myself in five years. And I had no idea. You <laughs> know, I didn't, it was like, it was one of the most like uncomfortable questions. It's like five years, but now the horizon seems farther away, which is, is exciting. There's sometimes it feels like your consciousness just has to expand to like envelop theirs because now I, you think about as an individual, we spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves and things we're doing and what we're going to do and how we're planning and, you know, all the, all the thoughts that come in between um, 
seeking pleasure and avoiding pain, you know, the full spectrum of that. And now I, when I think about Noven Escher, I think about creating a safe, like the safest, most nurturing, like field of probability around them that I can, you know, that, that it's within my domain to do. And, uh, it's, it's great. I don't know. It's, uh, there's something that feels like this is what I should be thinking about. And it feels good to think like that. Um, mm, there's a lot there, but I do want to, mm. I do want to, uh, draw attention to your emphasis on the tactile with, you know, teaching your kids to, to create artwork and that there is something, you know, there's a pretty strong argument from the sciences that, that because of, you know, self-organization as a way of accelerating the entropy of our universe, you know, that it's just like metabolisms just emerge only to hasten the, you know, the heat death of the cosmos, according to the orthodox sort of contemporary view, you know, it's, it's a really sort of depressing uh, picture in some respects, because it suggests that the whole tilt of technological evolution is towards the convenient, you know, towards the, the compressed version of what came before, you know, finding the quicker way to do it. And, you know, I mean, as, as somebody who really found his legs in digital media, you know, it's obvious that even though you may spend as much time at work on a, on a given piece as a traditional painter, like certain things are definitely faster uh, mm-hmm. you know, to the degree to which like a different quantity becomes a different quality. There's like a phase change when you're like placing objects with like ZBrush in a three-dimensional landscape compared to like trying to like get the shading right on the side of that barn, you know, with a brush. And yet that's sort of just one symptom of this. I feel like we're sliding downhill into a world in which the, and this is where I sort of betray my conservatism, I suppose, mm-hmm. where you know, we've sort of lost sight of the, the richness and the high fidelity, multidimensional human experience. And then like by the time we're all sort of you know, uploading ourselves into computers and 3D printing babies and such, which I, I don't regard that as technologically impossible. I regard it as philosophically undesirable. You know, that it's like we're, we're going to forget you know, that you can listen to vinyl instead of an MP3. But I'm really curious, you know, where you where you sit in your thinking on analog and digital and the uses of those things. Because especially because some of yeah. the work that I've, of yours that I've seen that has moved me the most is some of your older stuff that was executed in, like, pencil. Sure. Well, you know, to invoke the, um, the legendary Ken Wilber, it's kind of... <laughs> Transcend and include, baby. Transcend <laughs> and include. You know, just because we've lost sight of it doesn't mean it's not still there to be seen. Mm. And with all these new, these the new possibilities can give an entirely new life to old possibilities. And in tr- just in terms of the, the, the narrow focus of, of art mediums and tools, you know, the things that like when I have a creative idea, like the, the, the plethora of the different means that I can execute that, whether it's like a quick, whether I want to get 
the concept of like you know if you have just an idea or something that's immediate that has a higher kind of like a brain cell like expiration date like you've got pencils and you've got paper if you want to work it out um, but you don't want but you still feel like you want to involve like your body there's like canvas and charcoal there's things that like using zbrush has given me a different appreciation for how I create form and inform like how my imagination works and then what I draw and drawing something out gives me the ability to explore it in a really like organic non-committal way or I could spray a bunch I could use a bunch of charcoal and chalk and then I can spray some acetone on it and I can hit it with the air compressor and I've got these crazy shapes that are so analog and so sophisticated and all have their own like natural molecular little Voronoi patterns going on. Or I can then see how amazing that is and try my best to make some sort of like a recreation of that within the material editor of Unreal Engine. I'll say, you know what it is too with the tools. Um, So I do a lot of VR now and I've been going hard on VR for three years. What VR, the things that, that this technology um, I haven't gotten lost in it. I've definitely lost sight of. I've I've lost track of a lot of time inside <laughs> of it, for sure. But the the deepest experience that I've had, you know, when we were started developing my, Microdose, one of the deepest, the first major sort of like breakthrough VR moment I had was while I was testing out um, one of the like the earliest prototypes of Microdose, and we had just introduced like our first kind of like a, like a particle mechanic. And it was uh, it was it was like a, just a, a transcendental like journey, fetal position, crying, laughing, reflection. Every shape became like I was like I was watching a movie and directing the movie and acting in the movie and narrating it and simultaneously. Like it was all this one experience, and it was so powerful. And when I took the headset off, it was like sunrise. It was summer. It was uh, like sometime, like kind of midsummer. And this, yeah, the sun was just coming up. And I had to run out. My first impulse was to run outside and like dive into like the wet, dewy grass and rip handfuls off of it out of the ground and just feel the, the just like the ultimate, like the symphony and molecular, like opera and chemistry of like what was happening. And like the particle count of the grains of sand and the subsurface scattering on like on on the pieces of grass <laughs> and like what's the PBR of this of this wet leaf? You know, it's like it's given it made VR is only um, it's it's not only but I think it's exponentially increased my appreciation for the physical world, the electro, mineral, chemical, petrol, flora molecule world that we live in and that understanding i think adds value to a multitude of cascading decisions and philosophies around that experience you know ken wilbur actually since you brought him up he said something uh in a conversation once that really stuck with me he was quoting Rene magritte and magritte said um Every painting starts as a romance and ends as a rape. And he was, you know, just talking about mm. the, the gap between the vision and the thing itself, you know, the, 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 the translation of that vision and, you know, the way that 
these revelations and insights are filtered through not only our technical facility or you know the limitations of our media but just also you know our, our ability to to remember the detail of these powerful experiences um you know there's there's all of these these greats these sieves that that the vision has to pass through first and, and i'm curious you know like venosa who by the way i don't think i ever complimented you on on the the memorial painting that you did of Bob Venosa in his, in the digital version of his own style, which I was mm. like such an ole. Yeah. I yeah. really miss him. He, he, I, I met him when I was 16. He grew up, uh, he, he, I, as I was growing up in, in Colorado, his, his, his studio house was like three blocks up the hill from my Catholic school growing up. <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah. It's I like, met uh, him at like an art, like at, a, at an art book signing at art hardware. And there was like nobody there. Like, I don't think I don't know. The visionary scene was, you know, there weren't as many crystals and, and, and pins and whoops on, on Pearl street, uh, (laughs) back in, uh, I don't know, like 80, 87 than there are right now. You know, it's changed pretty dramatically. Yeah. But, you know, so he, uh, he talked about this too, about how he spent his entire career, you know, kind of chasing this one ayahuasca vision, that he had had at the very beginning. So I guess the question is, what lives in that gap for you? You know, what do you wish that you could do that with all of your servers and virtual reality setups and this, you know, massive team of collaborators and all of the the training and the talent that you have, like, where do you feel... What do you wish that you could do that you find yourself still incapable of doing as an artist? Mm. Man, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that I think that I've, it's, it's a combination. There's sometimes where an experience that, that contrasts that, that happens. But what's also happens is sometimes it's almost, we're getting at a point where there are more things that I want to learn that I, I just do not, my consciousness, my brain does not have the capacity and the time and the discipline to understand all of them. Oof. You know, like even just from a software perspective, like I, you know, the time it would take to truly master Houdini and Unreal and ZBrush and a Cinema 4D or a Mac, like ha- to really have, to go as, to, 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 to express all of them to, a high degree of their potential value together. It's almost like there's that becomes that that's frustrating to me sometimes. Um, it's also frustrating that we, you know, I want to be able to like, you know, paint in VR in like zero in like, you know, low earth orbit as well too. You <laughs> yes. know, I mean, I want like, there's, there's things I want to be able to, yeah. Okay. Like, okay. We're going here. Yeah. I feel that we're very close to, like I'm like what I create for the future that I'm that I'm plotting for myself that I put energy and time towards, you know, building through microdose or through different software is manipulating is in like is is the real time like physical manipulation of ma- like almost like kind of like marionetting and like puppeteering massive holograms over stadiums or large open wide vista environments like that's that's the thing that's like 
but I feel it's it's not that it's really not that far away from an AR from a from and we're talking about probably a, you know the, the, an AR perspective like you'd wear glasses and you'd look at this um, it, you wouldn't be adjusting and then I guess later on yeah I guess it would be pretty cool to like light up all the molecular like photons and that at that scale too but it seems that you know if I can put it in the mind like with art and I think a lot of art we're we're kind of creating these illusions that really come alive in the consciousness of another person and whether that's a, like a huge projective no there's something you could like sculpt out of like huge drones and things too mm-hmm. um but i'm pretty i'm i'm i have to say i'm incredibly satisfied at this moment with the massive upgrade in medium that we got from vr three years ago when you look for vr and the the leaps and bounds that you know groups like nvidia are making with uh, the graphics cards uh the, the, the Moore's law of like consumer graphics cards that are available and the types of math that they make possible now is, uh, I mean, if that's not enough for you to get your mind around and appreciate on that level, then what are you excited about? Dude, what are, you, what, what are the things? Yeah, well, uh, okay. Well, uh, let me put a pin in the, the follow-up question I had for you. Mm. I think in a, hmm. I'll tell you, I'm excited about learning. Yes. I'm excited about, um, like, the thing, like the projects I'm the most, the 15-year projects I have are art school. It's like art school, art lab, makers space, making art with kids and teaching kids how to, like, be the, give them, give, give them the, the largest, like, probability field of expressing their, like, the closest they can come to their, like, creative potential uh is the most that's like the most that's the biggest idea that's the most important most like time sensitive most urgent and highest like like roi (laughs) endeavor that i can think about and you know that that takes i i can't do that for many reasons at the moment you know it takes because those things those are ideas that take years to develop and there's there's lots of like materials and cranes and shipping containers and domes and things, but like I don't worry about I I, I I that's those are those are those are details too. So, yeah. but those are the things that I think I think about the most, and I think about how this technology can, you know, with technology that's coming, like you know, being able to rent the time of like a supercomputer, um, like the processing power of that, like the distributed. The type, the type of like hard, the fact that hardware, the tech, that, that the that the power of hardware can be distributed over different mach- multiple machines in different places, like it, it just it. There's a lot, there's a lot less restrictions, and um, it feels like a lot more almost available. There's 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 going to be a higher degree of kind of democratization between like the availability of these type of tools mm. and how what 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 a decade of i think we're going to see we're seeing this big shift now um it's like that is between uh whatever whatever we were calling art before we figured out that we're going to be calling art immersive you know i think i don't know when art hasn't been immersive but now there's like a refocus on the immersiveness of creativity and seeing the different spectrums of 
creative disciplines start to rediscover themselves within new mediums is really that's that's a really exciting thing yeah 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 there's something i guess there's you know to to answer your question i guess there's a couple you know there's like maybe a threefold thing one is obviously you know the the child as a collaborator or the child as as work you know and i was you know i just get excited about um all of the things that you were just talking about about introducing art and like you know loading this kid culturally with things to see how for, how much further she can get earlier than I did you know because I really believe that it's like the the complexity you know the the, the intelligence of an organism has a, so much to do with the complexity of its environment and if we uh, up to a point, up to the point where it's like too much and, you know, you sort of like burn up in the, in, you know, it's like kind of an Icarus type deal, you know, like I don't, you put in your hand in a blender <laughs> beyond a certain point, but like, but yeah, you got at some point you got to figure out if you're going to be Icarus or Daedalus. Right. Know? Right. That's a big yeah. decision. There's a big shift from, that's, that's a good metaphor from a child to father. Yeah. So, so, you know, really reading, uh, you know, that, 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 that piece of the creative enterprise, and then also the sort of the backflow, um, you know, getting to learn. I think something that has come up for me recently, this is like the part two of that, is, you know, having a kid is like a meditation on my own childhood. And how it's in, in a lot of ways, I feel like it's a return to form for me, like it's, it's drawing me back down through the, the tree into the, 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 the trunk of the tree, like out of the branches, like into the primary considerations of my life. And I'm, I'm returning to all of these things that I used to care about, but I've sort of lost sight of in the last few years of just trying to, you know, hustle and make it in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so as, as someone who believes very passionately and I'm like working on making an articulate argument that the, the future of humankind is actually in some respects are, are past in the sense that like a, a, a more complex, fluid, metamorphic world requires us to remain childlike, to remain flexible and social and open and to engage ever with this beginner's mind that there's this sense in which um, it is, you know, I, I, like you, I'm excited about the possibilities of my own learning and like my own uh, deepening sort of, freshness with engagement of all of these things like the guitar or paints or, or, mm-hmm. or just conversation that I feel like I've taken for granted lately. Um, but then also when you talk about microdose as something that gives people a sense of your experience as an artist of like being in the, you know, the, like this, this swirl of sorcery, you know, <laughs> just, uh, really getting to immerse oneself in a creative flow state with almost no training, you know, very little like rudimentary sort of experimental play um, that, you know, it seems as though, uh, and other, lots of people have talked about this, that the more sophisticated our technologies, our tools become, it's almost like we're, I don't think that this is exactly true, but there is a vector in which we are doing away with the need for mastery. The, the intelligence is more distributed into the people that have designed these tools. And it leaves us 
in some sense more helpless, you know, to the degree that we rely on them. But in other ways, uh, you know, like just the, the number of people that are producing music now because of the apps that have made music production accessible to your average teenager is just extraordinary. And, you know, that's, there's something, there's something in that balance between the freshness and the ever living renewal available through a real engagement, uh, like a wisdom level engagement with a particular technique, you know, like mastering paint. Um, but mm. then there's also this other thing, yeah. which is that there's, you know, we're coming into this space where we can just sort of drop ourselves into profound creative acts with like no training. You're, yeah. you're, you're contributing to this. You're participating in it. Oh, I've been, ex- this has been one of the primary, um, the, the, the pursuit of this question is like one of the primary drives and like loves of like my entire life. Um, and I think that, you know, on some levels it's like, ultimately you're trying to, I think whatever tool you choose, like the real game is the mastery of yourself. Um, and a lot of these tools, the creative process, drawing and painting, it's, 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 it represents the friction that my conscience is is most comfortable exploring itself with. And, you know, whether that is ink or clay or Play-Doh or crayons, um, it's like one of those levels. There's different ways of looking at that. At the, I think at the argument that you're making too, on one hand, sure, we have maybe more dilettantes and, and, and less crystallized focused mastery of one medium. But at the same time, a, a, another view, when I hear that, I think um, more people making music access to tools. My first thought is, is yay. Yeah. And that's awesome. And that it's, it's, if you want, I guess the best, do you want to look at the individual's own story arc as an artist and what the, what the highest level output that they're going to achieve or zoom out and just see like, wow, look at the increased amount, look at the graph of the increased amount of creative expression that these tools made possible. Cause and sometimes it's, it's not about taking the, the most like the, the human being that had the best genetic jackpot slot machine, social communal, gen, like global, privilege to to be an artist yes you could like if you, you do if i guess you you could pull out your da vinci's and your like leonardo's um but i feel that grabbing somebody off the sidelines and bringing them into creative experience like giving them that gift at a greater volume is potentially a higher use of my time than an individual Hmm. And then individual than, than, than being the or or they, you know, I don't I'm not going to make a decision. So the options are yes, pull someone off the bleachers, or take somebody, or focus focus all your energy on taking one individual to like total mastery of the finish line. So what do you like? Where or do you both. where where yeah. are you with like apprenticeship? then and that kind of thing and in this in these new spaces you know i've always i feel like for a while like i could there's an opportunity for someone in my life that would be like a like a 
kind of like a right hand for the left brain, you know, uh, (laughs) (laughs) or a left brained right hand. Okay. How about that? Um, but I, there, a lot of times I feel that there is information that I have. There's things that I'm discovering that like, wow, if someone else was here right now, I could totally teach them how to do this. Um, I'm, I think I feel like I'm always teaching somebody in my head, whether I'm like reteaching myself. Um, but um, the uh, world that's oh. sorry, that was sorry. Go on. You know, I guess, you know, maybe maybe when the teacher's ready, the student appears too. you know. So, hmm. uh, but, um, you know, for years we've done, I, I, I feel like doing, I think the, the first start is doing more teaching. I feel like I have some things, there's some tricks that I, I'm, I'm, I like teaching tricks, not necessarily like general overarching, like long-term theory. I like teaching like the tricks and the hacks and the things that I've, I've learned. So we're getting to a point where I need to start probably purging some of that to like make room to like learn new things. Hmm. Yeah, you know, the, 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 what you said about there being sort of too many things to learn, too little time. It's like, uh, I'm going to get real heady about this for a second. Listeners, That's I apologize, right. but you've made it an hour in. So, you know, I've earned your trust. Um, mm-hmm. There's this thing that I've been obsessed with since I, I heard about it in college, which was the evolution of the sentence. You know, like wh- when at what point in human evolution did we move from words, you know, where we were just uttering one word for like lion, one word for hey sexy, you know, one word for every imaginable relevant scenario and, you know, every experience that we could recognize and desire to communicate. And then at some point, the social complexity of a human tribe or something got to the point where we needed more. The number of words that we had to remember was a tax on our memory and, and it, it, it increased the miscommunications that we were having with each other, you know, like not remembering the right word for the right thing. And so it became easier. Uh, this is all Martin Nowak's work. You know, he came up with the, the math supporting that even though we couldn't look at fossils of the human throat and like larynx and voice box, it is like there, there was a point and we can talk about it with chaos theory where, the, the error rate in our communication required, rather than just adding new words, finding a new structure for words that allowed us to recombine them in novel ways and to, to create a syntax. And so that's when, you know, really languages, as we think of it, as humans think of it, emerged at, you know, at some point, some mysterious, you know, prehistoric moment. And I feel like all of the things that you're talking about, like all the ways that all of these, these media illuminate and inform and fold into one another, and the fact that each of us is sort of like struggling to learn everything that we might want to learn in order to communicate the things that we might want to communicate is, is a singularity of the same sort of order, you know, that like virtual reality, uh, and I, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but like the virtual reality is sort of like opera in that it folds all prior media together into this new syntax. And that there's like a new, a new language that's emerging where we have to collaborate at a much higher level because each of us is so partial compared to the total possibility of human creativity now, you know, mm-hmm. that. So like, 
where are you with, I mean, obviously you, you, you know, um, Samskara is a fantastic example of, of interdisciplinary collaboration. Microdose is a fantastic example. Like, how do you understand not just your work as a, an artist unto yourself, but your work as part of like, like a super organism, you know, a liquid mm. brain of creators. Yeah. I think it's maybe in the broadest sense when I think about, like, let's, let's take for example the the, the thing, the new things that are happening with uh, the new probability possibilities with with the virtual reality. You, you mentioned that I really liked how you said it. it was really like it's folding all prior things, and within that fold, it's also becoming this this larger container. So it's a container for all these prior things. And you could also consider that the container, what it's really content, what it's doing, it's containing, it's a, it's a contained feedback loop technology. It's a, it's this, it's this, 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 this two monitor pixel resolution feedback machine for, it's almost like, it's like, it's almost like when they can come, it's like a distributor cap, like it distributes your own biofeedback and your, the own feedback loop of your own conscious within a tighter container that can contain more and express more information in a non and take up your full visual audio senses. Um, that's like the canvas of what VR is, but it's not just when you, it's, it's all the things happening together. It's the VR and it's the video cards, video cards that allow enough computations where we are going to have like the signal to noise ratio is going to, is, is going to soften till we have a the closest like one-to-one -one digital feedback loop reflection of being able to take us, our actions, our movements, our heart rate, our EEG, our brain waves, and provide a 90 frame a second real-time reflection and distortion of the feedback loop of those elements back to ourselves and there's there's a lot to learn um, when the friction with the friction of your consciousness against that kind of a medium. Do you do you think of yourself differently now that like you spend more of your time immersed in these incredibly complex collaborations? Like obviously it's a very different world than you know you like sitting outside the Sundowner on Pearl Street and like sketching mm -hmm. people. You know, I was like, at Pearl Street today. Yeah, for sure. I thought about today. Totally different, <laughs> right? Totally different. This feels like when I'm in it, I, I know, I there's a lot of it that I'm I, that I'm starting to understand. There's things I thought I understood about it that I didn't. That now I really, oh, I didn't really understand that as much as I thought I did. Um, so it is an unfolding process, but it's and it's a different. It's a totally different type of flow state to get into. To um, it's. Not, I'll, I'll honestly say a lot of VR development is really uh, not romantic type stuff. It's like lots of numbers and thinking and getting lost. And like, you'll spend days like trying to create this thing that you thought you could create. And it ends up like completely, you, get, you, you, you can lose days on like the wrong thread <laughs> of, of a trajectory. It's just like that was a half-baked idea that was too ambitious. Uh, but the moment, the payoff moments that I've seen, like the things, the amount of form from just from a color shape for, with microdose a lot, it's, it's pretty, it's a very visual product. It's really focuses on a high degree of like materials and shaders and meshes and 
geometry and the novel ways of combining those with like different light sources and environments. So from like the, the visual level, like the color therapy, visual form level of getting a, a, a picture and a form inside my brain. Um, uh, it just, it's, 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 it feels better than anything I could imagine doing right now with time and with creative time and resources. Um, consist, it consistently has been delivering that for me. And the pursuit of that is what is the most, um, what's the most exciting. So yeah. it's, it's uh, like multicellularity yeah. worked out better for everybody kind of a thing. Yeah. Like you and, and you got Fong and all, and blue tech and I all these other folks I, working I, with you. Know you. I, I also say, I also say like, I like when microdose started, like one of the things that I love about it is that the idea of it, it was good enough of an idea for me to justify calling Fong and saying, Fong, you should work on this with me. Like it was, it was, a, it was a project worthy of Fong's genius, you know, cause I've known Fong for like 14 years and we worked on things together, but I just admired him from afar for so long, but I never had like a real justifiable reason for us to work together until we came up. It, VR was an ambitious enough that it was like, yep, that's Fong worthy. So just working with Fong is, is, a, is such a gift too. He's a amazing person to reflect with. He's at the farm right now. He's totally, he's in the barn. I'm out, I'm out in the airstream. Well, send him my regards. I, 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 will. I think I will laugh to my grave about the time I came out to visit the two of you, uh, like two and a half years ago to talk about how I, I imagined integrating musical performance into microdose. And he just, oh, he, yeah. looked, he just looked at me like, are you out of your fucking skull? Like, <laughs> do you realize what it takes to code this shit? So there's like a shout out to the engineers and the coders oh, and the sure. people that are, you know, unsung, the real unsung yeah. heroes of this entire creative movement. Yeah. So I want to, I want to flip it just a little, cause you know, mm. I, I almost never ask this question on the show, but it's often, I think it's because people are so quick to surface their own sort of anxieties when we, when I talk about the future, but um, I'm really curious. You're such a uh, a creative firestorm and force of inspiration for so many people. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. Like, that, that, this is a fact. Um, mm. But, you know, like, I know that in your your life that you've had to do a, a, a tremendous amount of, of, like, confrontation with your own darkness and, and your own fear. And I'm curious after all of that has burned away and left you as the man you are, what are you still afraid of about the future? Like what, what, what still, like what, if anything still haunts you? Um, what haunts me now? One of the things that's kind of is semi haunting that you'll be experiencing. You have been experiencing soon enough is, there's there's some fear about the like the joy to grief ratio of the human experience you know the idea that you know the the love that i've i'm able to experience with um uh, with my daughter nova and escher is it's unlike any type of love that i ever thought was possible like it's redefined my whole concept of what it really means to to love something just all the way that like fairy tale movie you and me kid forever love. Like, I don't think I ever really 
I've never, I, I, whatever I've had in the past, it, it just got, it, it was shattered with the way I love my kids and f- feeling how amazing that love feels and knowing that part of the, what, that, that love has the potential to balance itself with an equal amount of grief and suffering and uh the awareness that that the of the relationship between them uh and future and death and loss and letting go of everything i'd say that scares me about the future but i stopped predicting you know like giant asteroids and portals <laughs> into other dimensions like after the 2012 fucking fallout you know got duped on that one so i gave i, I listen to less conspiracy uh theory radio these days i guess but yeah i do i, I mean, remember that, that's a, meeting yeah. you in santa fe uh it's just a weird coincidence that like the day i drove in to start work here you were like you hit me up by text you're like hey you live here now right i was like what the how did you know and we were hanging out we went out for breakfast and you said something about getting an ultrasound it'd be like mk ultrasound yeah I, you know uh, <laughs> it's like you know, I will say that I haven't, I haven't given up all of my fantasies. And, you know, don't get don't get too close to my fantasy, Michael. Okay, so we're all entitled to our own mythology. Hey, around, you know, I think around things for sure. I think, I mean, frankly, there is. I wrote a song um, that I, I have, I've never published, but I, you know, I wrote a song about just being terrified of being constantly penetrated by electromagnetic radiation. I'm like, where in the world can I go? to get away from all of that. And like, I rejoiced, yeah. I rejoiced I when afraid? I found out they, they made a, uh, oh, sorry, go I'm ahead. Af- you used to, before I forget, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid, I'm afraid of like, you know, the day they start doing like the chemtrail vaccines. Like that's a scary, f- like drone chemtrail, drones that spray out chemtrail vac- like mandatory vaccines on humans. That's a scary thing about the future. Is that scary enough? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, presumably okay. by then we'll all have uh, universal basic income, right? So oh, cool. <laughs> it'll be like manna yeah, from, scary. it'll just be like uh, right. Bitcoin and vaccines from heaven, you oh, know, just uh-huh. <laughs> not the place I want to end this conversation. I did want to say though, that, uh, you know, there is, there is, oh, you know, ad- oh, adverti- advertising in VR. I'm afraid of like, when the marketers like really get sink their teeth into that creative futures. <laughs> Dude, the, just gives me the, it gives me the shivers. The neuromarketing, like walk past oh, a Coke man. machine that can read your brain waves and like, uh, you know, like, yeah. Uh, uh, the points where like in the future, the non in the universal income that we're just like selling out our consciousness to like marketers for freedom credits, like that kind of stuff freaks me out. Man, how is that not already the case? Like, it's funny how- Why, somebody... why, why haven't we monetized, why haven't we, why isn't there like a gold standard for like human attention based off geographical area? Like, shouldn't we be able to monetize our attention at this point where like we could actually just like sell it on an open market? You know, for the amount of money that people are paying to get it, I think that we should at least establish a value and like a minimum requirement. Like, fuck you, you don't get my attention unless I'm getting this much value period, you know, well, I think up for that. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, frankly, that's one area, you know, we, I know you've given a lot of thought to, you know, various blockchain things. And that's one area where I feel like, you know, we, everything is flipped upside down right now because we decided, you know, we being the, you know, the people that designed the software environment that we live in now, 
um, decided that we were going to try and achieve the sort of liberal goals of the, you know, the nineties cyberdelic movement by making, you know, making the internet free. But the way to do that was to make everything based on ad revenue and that, you know, I have a lot of hope for, for blockchain yeah. being able to like invert that equation and restore individual value creation to the user, you know, and like, I'm going to sell you my data, which you can't have because you didn't build the platform. We built the platform and everything we do, you know, we find all the ways to make every little action that we do generate electricity and, and secure some sort of encryption algorithm. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I think seeing the problem clearly is, is, you're like 95% of the way to the solution. Right. So that just the fact that we're both mm. so like palpably disgusted by this stuff, I think is like evidence that the boil is about to pop, but you know, yeah. <laughs> and it will happen once we, be, once we become aware and have a higher value around, our own consciousness. And like, we have to prove that it's, it's more valuable than that and treat it and respect it. Uh, I think that, that that that's part of the problem solution there. Yeah. Well, dude, I want to um, I want to wrap this with a question that I, I like mm. to ask folks. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you there's something about this show that it started in this contemplation with the tea fairy about every moment being all at once, you know, and that like the future is paying attention to our heroic deeds, you know, that we're in some weird way we're all sort of like live streaming ourselves to the unborn and and that they're super interested in everything that we do because this was a moment of great transition and a moment where we didn't leave very excellent records and so this thought of like living our lives in light of that fact i find everyone has a sort of a different take on it everyone has a unique reflection on on what it means if you live moment to moment as though the future is watching or listening um lovingly you know not like it's over like they can't hurt you right like they're just curious about you so like what does that kind of consideration do for you um does it change the way that you live if it does how and and what kind of message do you hope to leave for those people you'll never meet Ah, I think as an artist, I think about stuff like that when I like if you're like going through a museum and you like a look at like artist painting or you look at like the body of work because like there's nothing there's no individual thing I think you can do that would ever answer that question but I think you have to look at like actions over long periods of time and the like the the, the feeling and the presence when you kind of understand a larger body of of work for somebody and I think what the things that have in the past there's like pre-dad things I valued and post-dad things that I valued and the things that I used to always look for like passion and obsession I wanted to I was like to see, see the level of commitment the artist had to like the, the, the focus and vision and the direction of what they're putting their energy into and I, I think in the past I kind of confused passion. I think I think the lines between like passion and obsession and psychosis um, 
I, I wasn't really I wasn't really distinguishing between like those were those were not one of the things I was distinguishing. It was just like overall like shock and awe and effect. And now as I've grown, I'm 41 now and as I've grown and as these two children and um, my beautiful partner have reflected for me, it's like now I can I, I look at the pieces and I what I'm looking for now is like, man, how much love did this person like have in at first, oh, like it's binary. It's like, did this artist like love themselves or did this artist like not love themselves? Like mm. I can see like how much of this obsession was like the cannibal, like cannibalizing their own self-destruction. And am, am I looking at that or can I see like the peace in somebody's heart that was made to create this? Can I see the amount of like, is it taking energy or is the idea of it, um, I think it could be summed up by like regeneration. I think about I think that's a, that's a, that's more of a value than it's ever than has ever been in my life. And the idea of aligning and encouraging and celebrating acts of of energetic or creative and uh, biological like regenerative, you know, to create more than you than you take and to be part of like a larger system that supports. Uh, more more generation and another generation and your generation and our generation um our next generation all together you know i want to I, I, I like to think of whatever movement or message or impact i i pray and i hope it lines up on that side of history that's awesome thanks for taking the time on this andrew it's uh, it's yeah, always a pleasure to chat with you oh thanks for great great questions michael yeah good luck with all your things. Thanks. And thanks for, thanks for the attention of everyone that uh, listens to this show in the future. <laughs> yeah, right on. And, and thanks to everybody that I love and my family and my children and my community and my team and, uh, and you and all the amazing work that you do, Michael. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod Network, along with Third Eye Drops, the Astral Hustle, Synchronicity Podcast, and an oodle of other fascinating programs. I encourage you to go to mindpodnetwork.com and subscribe to them all. And stay tuned, because we have some awesome episodes coming up on Future Fossils. But for now, may your now be exquisite, long, and wonderful. 